Founders, welcome back to the Zero to 5,000 podcast, where we obsess over the convergence of human potential and business results. Today, our hosts, Drew McClure and Jordan Mitchell, have another insightful conversation for you. So let's jump right in. Okay, founders, welcome back to the podcast. Today, we are joined by Brendan Pape, CEO of Brist Manufacturing. Brist is a local manufacturing agency that creates and designs custom apparel and accessories. They offer quality service for everything from graphic design and screen printing to marketing and consulting. Brendan graduated from Western Washington University in 2011 and returned in 2020 to pursue his MBA. Throughout Brendan's college career, he stayed busy by being a student ambassador for companies like Microsoft and P&G. Fast forward to 2020, all of Brendan's hard work paid off when Brist was listed as number 2,164 on the Inc. 5000 list. With a three-year revenue growth of 195%, Brist Manufacturing was the top-ranked Whatcom County company on the Inc. 5000, 45th among 100 Washington State companies that were on that list. Right now, we are pumped to host Brendan on the podcast, so let's jump right in. Brendan, thanks for being here, buddy. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. I want to know for you, how did we get here? What led you to, do, to starting this company? Um, so we actually began as a small private label apparel uh, brand. So we were kind of outdoor inspired, surf inspired, uh, sold in retail locations all throughout the West Coast, actually. And one of our biggest challenges was being able to manufacture fully custom apparel at low minimums. Um, at the time, um, custom apparel really lended itself to, you know, those larger uh, companies that were doing super, super massive volume. So we were always kind of confined in this little box. You know, we wanted to be more creative. We wanted to create, you know, authentic merchandise to our brand. What is, Uh, can I ask you real quick, what is custom apparel? What do you mean by custom? uh, So like private, uh, private label apparel. So if you go into Nordstrom's, say, Uh you know, you got a, a wide assortment of different brands. All those different brands, you know, um, all those different clothing brands are creating custom apparel that pertains to, um, you know, their mission, their brand values and, and all that. So um, when I'm referring to custom, like fully custom, it's like those custom button downs with, you know, the inside label or like this North Face hat. You know, this uh-huh. is a custom custom hat that's branded for north face gotcha okay north face can choose you know any type of logo any type of fabric you know they have full creative freedom and uh when we were trying to expand our brand you know from we didn't have a ton of creative uh creative freedom in terms of creating custom apparel because when it came to overseas supply chains you had to um do massive massive volumes so um, the, the big realization was ultimately what we were trying to do is we were trying to solve our problem uh, being a small clothing brand. We wanted to be able to have more creative freedom in the, in the apparel that we created. Um, and uh, so what, what ended up happening was we had a, a few small relationships overseas with, uh, with a couple suppliers and we were really trying to convince them, you know, to, to work with us on on these smaller minimums and these quicker turn times uh, while letting letting us be, you know, super creative. And yeah. when you think about like a huge manufacturing facility, you know, volume is king. Right. You know, it's like, that's, that's what everyone wants. They want volume. So um, we thought about it more and we're like, man, the, the small and mid-sized companies out there, they make up a huge chunk of the pie. You know, there are so many small and mid-sized companies out there um, that, uh, you know, we feel like, you know, there could be an opportunity to create custom, more custom apparel that's, that's, that's better branded and suited to these organizations. So uh, what ended up happening is in 2013, I flew to China with uh, about 30 pitches uh, in all these three, uh, three ring binders. And I took all these basic, basically they were like little mini business models, me trying to, uh, help these factories understand the the value of reducing their minimums to uh, a lower amount while still enabling, you know, these different brands uh, to maintain a high level of customization and a high level of creativity. And um, I went from meeting to meeting, flew all over China for about six weeks, no idea what I was doing. I got there, 
Um, you know, I didn't have a VPN, so I had like no inter <laughs> internet access the entire time, except the, the Yahoo homepage and like one supplier ended up buying me a phone because she's like, you're just a mess. Wow. <laughs> but I went through to all these different uh, suppliers and I was like, Hey guys, if, um, I want you to give us a chance, decidual chance. That was the brand name at the time. And, uh, we'll show you that, you know, in small orders, um, we can make up, you know, cons uh, regular consistency, um, and that will equate to high, high volume in the long term. And, uh, the, about three of them gave us a chance, you know, I got, got laughed out of some meetings and they're like, You're sure. crazy. you know, our, our facilities are set up to do high, high volume. You know, that's, you know, that's, that's how the industry works. And, um, three factories gave us the opportunity on the condition that we could give them frequent orders. And, you know, so I come back talking with my business partner and we're like, okay, how do we get frequency? Yeah. Because obviously us as a brand, we aren't going to be ordering, you know, as frequently as, you know, anyone would want. So that's when we, you know, began kind of hitting the pavement and reaching out to different businesses and brands being like, Hey, we can create you a fully custom hat, you know, and you can be as creative as you want. Mm. And I, this is a hat for flow motion, but it's, it's completely branded for them. And it's at a minimum of 72 pieces. And so we would go to, you know, from breweries to corporate companies, um, just so we could kind of float, you know, our brand, um, and be able to keep that kind of passion project going. And it got to the point after about uh, 18 months where we're like, man, we need to put our brand on the back burner and just focus mm. on this because mm. there's a huge opportunity here. So in 2015, we pivoted our business model from being a lifestyle apparel brand to a B2B um, private label apparel manufacturer. And uh, we haven't, we haven't looked back. So our, our goal and our mission today is to provide businesses and brands all throughout the country, all the necessary tools to create, you know, custom branded merchandise. We're working with um, awesome organizations like Google X to, to Amazon, to the Seattle Mariners, and we're really trying to help people understand wow. the power of apparel. Apparel is an extremely powerful tool. And we're trying to get people to move away from the cheap, you know, tchotchke promotional products that, you know, end up in, uh, in your drunk drawer or end up in, you know, the back drawer of your dresser. Um, so, you know, we're really trying to elevate branded apparel that you would see, you know, uh, at a corporate agency and align it with the same quality as something that you would find in a resale retail setting like Nordstrom's. Yeah. So that's yeah. kind of, that's kind of how it, how it uh, came to be. Dude, that's amazing. So you had your clothing line first that you were basically being, um, unable to create a big enough purchase order for a manufacturer to be interested in, or it was too expensive. Right. Then you go and you found three that were willing to take a chance on smaller orders as long as you could give them orders more consistently. Yep. And then you guys went and shopped around and basically were a broker for all these other people to, to, to work there. Is that still the deal now? Do you, is it still you go work with a brand, work with a company, get an order, and then go to your partners uh, that already have their manufacturing plant? Or did you create your own? Um, so no, so we, you know, we, we don't have our own manufacturers, so we are kind of, we're, we're in a sense a broker, but yep. how our business model works is, um, over the years, um, when the sky's, the sky's the limit on customization, it's, it's obviously really challenging to scale and to standardize. So we have a standardized business model. So we have trims and fabrics and everything selected um, on a fa factory level. So we work extremely closely with our factories. Uh, we, prior to COVID, we go visit them about four to five times a year. And we basically would set up the program with them and help them, you know, find those efficiencies. And then we would come back here and build that program um, in all of our sales assets and all of our creative assets. So our creative team, we have an in-house creative team. And again, you know, our goal is to allow, um, you know, our customers have to have this hands-off ex uh, apparel experience. So we have an in-house creative team that you would work with. And our creative team is designing from fabrics and trims and embellishment options that are, are available in our different factory locations. Um, so when they're designing, you know, we know exactly where it's going and our factory knows exactly, you know, how to make it. And they have all the available materials to do that. 
So um, we wow. do not own overseas. We don't own um, any overseas factories. We do have a, a domestic uh, manufacturing facility here in Washington state where we do tons of uh, screen printing. We do mild sewing. We do uh, patch hats, uh, beanies and, and all that stuff. And then we do warehousing and distribution. So that's what wow. we have on the domestic level. That's super cool. What is, what is the, um, what is the main thing that your customers have found in you and in your company that they were looking for or that they didn't have before? I think the, the ability for them to be authentic, you know, in the merchandise that they create and, and uh, to create uh, an experience that is going to excite either their customers or their internal team members, you know, employee morale. Um, and I think that's, what excites them the most and the fact that they can and in doing that and, and and getting to that experience they can come to us and and lean on us as the experts you know it's our goal to to understand your brand and uh, build a merchandise portfolio that aligns with with your brand and your customers and your employees yeah uh, like we're working on uh, such a cool project right now with with google x and, um, you know, they don't want the, no, nope, they don't want the typical corporate polo anymore. Yeah. You know, they want something that is, uh, you know, their team members are going to be super excited about, and we're trying to create, you know, apparel that is, is engaging and interactive. So like one thing, you know, one of the items that we're working on is like a denim jacket and it's like a nice denim jacket that you would, you know, typically probably find in a setting like Nordstrom. And then every month they're going to be getting different patches, you know, all the team members. And then those team members can apply those patches on the denim jacket if they want to, if they want to. That's do so. cool. So we're trying to make, you know, the experience fun and different. And, but I, I would say, you know, uh, giving our customers the ability to be authentic is, is, is really where we're, um, you know, we're, we're winning. And that's been, you know, that was kind of the goal from the beginning, you know, as when we were a small brand is we didn't have the ability to be authentic, you know? And, uh, so, yeah, that's amazing. And so, especially for the small brand, it sounds like what I'm hearing is, and I know this is true for, you know, I, I run the zero to 5,000 brand as well as uh, a coaching company. And we've looked around at like, all right, what we would like to get some hats for the guys or, you know, maybe a, a jacket or something like that. And it's just, it's either too expensive or it's all crap material, you know, yep. where yep. it feels like you're just slapping a sticker or slapping something on your, your kind of thing on something else. So you guys are giving them the ability to do high quality, creative custom to something they'd really be excited about, but potentially yep. in a more, in a, in a decently affordable way. Is that, was that what it is? Exactly. Exactly. Um, and we work, I mean, 99% of our customers, you know, they're not uh, apparel focused. It's, it's like a business like yours or, yeah. you know, a product company or a brewery or a corporate company, you know, so apparel is never going to be their primary objective, but, you know, apparel is a, a super important tool. One example, you know, that really resonates with me is, um, you know, when we were trying to kickstart our, our brand, we would go to these trade shows. One was called Outdoor Retailer. Uh, at the time it was in Salt Lake City. And it has like all the biggest outdoor brands uh, in the outdoor space. You have like Patagonia and North Face and all these incredible organizations. And um, at the time, one of my favorite companies was, was GoPro. This is when GoPro was really kicking things off and, and bringing, you know, the small lifestyle camera and enabling you to, you know, uh, document all your adventures. And I was, I loved them as a, as a brand. I was so excited about them as a brand. And uh, I was walking uh, in and out of this trade show and I got nailed in the face by a hat. It was a GoPro hat. <laughs> you know, people are throwing out apparel left and right. And uh, at first I was super excited. I was like, sweet. I, I love GoPro. This is, this is, I'm, I'm amped. Um, and then I'm looking at this hat and it was just so poorly made. Um, it wasn't a reflection of the brand that 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 i recognized you know yeah. it didn't align with the same quality of their cameras and um you know it's i, I as i walked out of the the, the trade show I, I put it on top of the you know a table because i didn't know what to do with it and you know walking out you see these trash cans you know that are filled with you know swag or this apparel that you know these brands are giving out to try to promote themselves but yet if they're not promoting themselves in a quality manner yeah, you know, it's just going to get thrown Doesn't away. Help. 
yeah, they're just burning those marketing dollars. And, you know, that was also a big kind of realization, you know, for, for Decidual at the time was, you know, why are these brands not thinking of themselves or why are they not creating apparel that's a similar quality as, you know, a retail setting? Why is it quantity over quality? And um, so that's, you know, that's been a huge, huge value point of ours over the last five years is, you know, um, we don't want to create stuff that's going to end up in a landfill. You know, we want to make sure that it's going to align with our customers' objectives and we don't want to throw a ton of inventory on them too, which is why we have, you know, low, low minimums, quick turn times. Um, so we're really trying to be mindful about the products we, cre- we create, why we create them. Um, we want them to last, you know, uh, the textile manufacturer, like just apparel in general is I think the second great biggest pollutant next to oil, you know, and that's one of the big things that, uh, you know, resonates with, with myself and our, and our team because we're, you know, a bunch of outdoor enthusiasts. Um, so we're really trying to always minimize you know, our footprint and try to better educate our customers on, you know, doing things differently and kind of get out of that promotional tchotchke world, you know, where it's <laughs> quantity is king, you know, it's, yeah. I think the impression that, that waste, exactly. I think, uh, 10 great impressions is, is going to be better than, you know, 500 shitty impressions. Yeah. 104 impressions. So absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, even right now I'm wearing, uh, a hat that one of the companies that was on the podcast sent us and I actually enjoy it. Like I awesome. enjoy the way it fits. I enjoy the way it looks yeah. and I wear it all the time versus I've had plenty of companies send me stuff or whatever. And it's just so crappy e- either like literally doesn't feel good to wear or it doesn't look good. And that it's just gone. I don't know where it went. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Man. But they're yeah. getting free promotion from me mm-hmm. on all of these podcasts on whatever, simply because I'm like, dude, I like the way this hat looks. I like the way that it feels. I'm going to wear this more often. And that's exactly what you're doing for companies. Yes. Yes. Heck yeah. Well, let's talk about this. In those early years when you made the pivot from your own brand or your own um, kind of clothing apparel brand to this new uh, market, what was the most challenging part of those early years? Um, oh, there's so many, so many challenges. I think, um, so we were bootstrapped from the beginning, you know, so um uh, there was definitely a, a lot of grit and sacrifice, you know, from, from uh, myself and my past business partner, as well as all of the, you know, all of our early team members, you know, so um, we, we really believed in, in the vision and were able to, you know, work those long hours and, and had a ton of grit and tenacity to make it happen. Um, I think, you know, at the beginning, getting, getting business yeah. is, is, is tough. You kind of got to say yes to everything. And, and, and that's something that, you know, we, we did have to do, you know, every opportunity was an opportunity that we wanted to jump on. Um, and I think another thing is, you know, we were, you know, such a small boutique organization. And I mean, we, st- we still are that we had to really go above and beyond, uh, to position ourselves against, uh, you know, uh, competitors and against this ingrained industry that, you know, a lot of, uh, our prospective respective customers, you know, um, had kind of been working in, uh, previously. So I would say, Obviously, you know, financial capital, trying to keep things going. Um, yep. When we made the pivot, it was, you know, a couple of years out of college and student loans are racking up and you're like, how much longer can I make this happen? Um, so I would say, I would say those, uh, those two, two things would probably be the biggest, biggest point in our pivot. And then now it's, it's, it's scaling, mm. you know, it's, it's assembling that team uh, that can continue to, uh, that can help us scale, uh, that has experience. Um, I think that's one of the, you know, one of the biggest challenges that we're kind of, you know, running into to now is, uh, you know, really trying to build out an infrastructure that is uh, sustainable for growth. Um, you know, from the beginning, I've always, uh, I've wanted to create a, a growth company rather than a lifestyle company. And why I wanted to create a growth company with, with this is because I believe that what we're doing should uh, impact you know, uh, as many organizations as we can, because we're doing something in a positive way. Mm. Um, so yeah, growth. Uh, how big, how big is the team now at this point? 
Uh, we're about 50, 50 employees now. Wow. Um, so we're, we're actually back up to where we were pre-COVID. Um, okay. COVID was obviously a big hit to, to most small businesses as it was yeah. to us, uh, you know, as, as to kind of be expected. Um, you know, I would imagine the first thing people are going to cut is, you know, the are obviously those expenses they don't need and apparel is, is likely one of them. So last year was a challenging year for us. Um, we actually, you know, coming in to 2020, we really ramped up operations because, you know, we were forecasting another banner year of growth and, uh, then everything happened and, it was a, it was a tricky one. We learned a ton and I'm super grateful for it because I don't think, um, I think I was, I was so focused on sales. I, um, we were so focused on sales that, uh, we weren't giving enough focus on kind of the operational infrastructure to support that growth, that growth in sales mm. in 2020, um, giving us that stunt in sales gave us an opportunity to really be mindful about building out better systems and processes. You know, yeah, and yeah. so coming into 2021 uh, and the end of Q4 2020, uh, that's really when we turned the corner. And yeah, things are things are going really well now. Dude, I'm so glad to hear that. What I would like to circle back, we'll probably will touch on a little bit more on this last year. But before that, you mentioned that uh, the type of company you wanted to build was more of a growth company versus a lifestyle company. Can you can you dive a little bit deeper into that? How do you see the difference in those two? And then why did you? Why did you choose the growth kind of structure versus the lifestyle structure? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I think you can go both ways. Um, I think, you know, there's benefits to both. And I think it's personal preference traditionally. So lifestyle company, um, yeah, in, in my definition is building an organization that can, that can support your lifestyle versus, um, you know, building an or- organization that is focused around growth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Not how much free time you have or enough to pay for you to go surfing kind of thing. Exactly. Um, So yeah, those are kind of like the the big differences. And, and uh, I kind of saw what we were doing as an opportunity to be, you know, lend itself to a growth company. I think lifestyle companies are, are, are great, but I also think, you know um, I wanted to build, uh, I want Brist to be a company that lasts. And when I think about a lifestyle company, I think, you know, if you aren't trying to continue to innovate, you know, it's, you're going to be overtaken by a competitor in no time, you know, yeah. you can only be complacent for so long. And, you know, I, 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 I don't think all, you know, lifestyle companies, you know, uh, that could be the case for it. But, but I think that was, that's always been, you know, you know, a worry for, for me, because I've seen, you know, how we've disrupted, you know, our competitors. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't want that to, you know, happen to us. Right. So, uh, you know, one of our big things, you know, at Briss is, is constantly innovating, moving fast. Uh, we're an extremely fast paced organization and um, doing a ton of testing. We're all about kind of a lean, lean approach. Um, I think perfection is, um, I think it can be the death of, of, of businesses. Mm. And, um, in some instances. And I think, you know, um, you know, I would, I would prefer that we launch a product or we launch, a, a new experience, um, that is 60 for, uh, percent and reiterate based off of the feedback from the customer and based off of our learnings, than us think we know, you know, exactly the experience that we want our customers to have and work, you know, years on building it and then launch something that our customers ultimately, you know, are not super excited about. <laughs> I love that. So let's talk a little bit more about that, that perfection can be the death of a company. Where do you see the, the primary problem in that, that pursuit of perfection? That, that, uh, is it the analysis paralysis? Is it the fact that you keep delaying something instead of going ahead and getting feedback and, and making pivots fast and that kind of thing? What, what's what's yeah. really the, the problem in I, your mind? I think it's a, the delaying fact. I feel like until you start, until you put it out there, it's, it's really hard to you know, understand uh, how it's going to land, you yeah. know, how the customers are going to, uh, you know, accept it. So I think, I think, uh, launching something, you know, building that hypothesis, launching something and then testing it is, is critical. And obviously you don't need to do it on a mass level. Um, but just simply testing, I think is critical. 
um, to being able to build a, a successful product. And I mean, it's, it's easy. I think, you know, it, especially when you're in a business, I feel like it's easy to feel like, you know, the answers, but yet you're there to serve, you're there to create value for your customers. Those yeah. customers, you know, are the ones that have the answers. So, you know, we do an awesome job at, you know, really encouraging our team to uh, communicate, you know, very frequently with, with our customers about different aspects, you know, of our programs, um, our processes, the experience, so we can continue to evolve and improve it. Um, and uh, this kind of continuous improvement mindset versus us, you know, launching these massive programs that um, are like a aircraft carrier, you know, trying to turn, versus, yeah. you know, that's small. Try to get it right the first time. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so good. I'm curious if we, uh, when you were starting to build the company internally, right? Like you're starting to make your first key hires. Let's say you're getting up to 10, 12, 15 people. Were there any kind of uh, philosophy that you were leaning on in terms of like, this is the kind of culture we want to build, or this is the, how we want to lead our people. Uh, did you, did you, or do you have kind of your own vision for, uh, that internal part of the company and what do you want it to be like? Totally. Um, yeah. So that's actually kind of changed a little bit. Uh, I can kind of go into a little bit of that. So uh, initially um, I think, in, and it's still the same, I guess I wouldn't say it's changed, but um, I wanted, we wanted to create a culture that, you know, people wanted to wake up in the morning and come to work um, that, you know, they were passionate about what they were doing, the customers that they were working with. And, um, on top of that, you know, we recognize that there's so much more to life than work, mm. uh, you know, early, early on. Um, and it's, 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 I don't know. It's almost like the, the college days. It's like, it's, it's fun, you know, it's, <laughs> it's too raw. And then, and then as a business grows, that culture changes you know, because policies and procedures put in place. Um, and I've seen our culture change significantly um, over the last couple of years be, because of this, you know, when you're 20, 20 people, um, you know, you're so close to everybody, you know, you have a direct line to everyone. Now that we're yeah. at like 50, you know, those, you know, there isn't a direct line anymore. And uh, the intimacy of the organization changes um, and, uh, I think it, you know, those changes were really, really challenging for, I think everybody, because it's like, wait a minute, you know, one of the big reasons that, that we wanted to, to work at, at Brist was because it was Brist because it right. was fun because it was, you know, not uh, corporate, not, um, and, you know, I think another big challenging component was, um, my strategy being uh, a growth, the growth strategy, I put a ton of pressure on our, our team and um, you know, to, to continue to grow. Um, and, you know, in the early days, I think it's, I think uh, it can be, it's, it's the work. I wouldn't say the work ethic changes, but you know, when you, when those, when the boots are on the ground, when my boots are on the ground, you know, you have people that are like, we're going to pound the pavement. We're going to do this until 2 a.m. We're going to yeah, <laughs> burn the midnight oil. And, you know, um, I think th those expectations, I think, you know, for a while there, I had those similar expectations of our, of our team as we continue to grow. And that's, you know, those were unrealistic and unfair expectations to have as, as, uh, as a team um, or as a, as a leader of a team. Um, and, um, I kind of put growth over, um, uh, you know, over employee well-being, sure. um, which is, you know, obviously not something that you want to do. And um, uh, coming into 2020 is a tough year. Um, you know, that rattled us. Culture was challenging. You know, our employees got, you know, whipped around. Uh, we did everything that we could, uh, you know, to make it, uh, uh, you know, as, as smooth as possible. Um, coming into 2021, it was, um, our, our culture was struggling and, and, you know, we recognized that we needed to, we needed to do something. We needed to tackle the elephant in the room and, uh, 
our culture has, you know, we're, we're growing and we are moving towards, you know, this more corporate thing, but, you know, we want to take this, the same approach that we took uh, in our business model with how we run a business and, and things are, you know, things are changing. So right now we're running a, a four day flex work schedule. Um, team members can decide if they want to work four days um, or if they want to work five days. Okay. And uh, the reason why we're doing that is because yeah, two days isn't enough. You know, a weekend, I, I want to go, I want to go on an adventure. I, I want those three day weekends. Yeah. And uh, we felt, uh, I think, you know, if you have satisfied employees. I think it's, it's, it's people process product, right? Yep. The people yep. come first. If your internal team members are stoked, you know, the product's going to be, you know, excellent. So we made uh, that huge change uh, at the beginning of this, uh, this last quarter, which we're super excited about. We're, we're doing profit sharing. Uh, you know, we, uh, we have a culture committee now um, because we want to make it fun. It's, it's, it's never going to be what it once was, you yeah. know, in terms of the, the young bootstrap company where you're smashing beers, you know, at, at, <laughs> at 6 p.m. after you close, you know, yeah. close the deal um and uh yeah so so we're we're tr we're trying to get back to and and kind of create a better culture with you know with all the growth we've seen and it and it definitely has been challenging yeah yeah the way the way i like to think about and, and describe it to our clients is at your stage you're going from organic to organized mm -hmm. where organic was what it was for the beginning right it's it's everyone's in the same room and so things just happen kind of naturally and a certain culture develops and then at some point, the growth of the business de demands structure to support it, right? Yep. And so that's where you have to bring in some level of organization. But it's like an awkward teenage year where yep. if you don't do it right, you kind of kill the parts that you loved in the organic season. But if you, if you don't bring in the structure, then the, the company dies because of the organic nature, right? Yep. And so you got to know how to bring the right structures in that support the growth and even allow some of the things you most love to come with you while letting go of some of the stuff that can come with you right i love that i'm gonna that's yes that is perfect it's organic to organize and so yeah. we always help companies see like okay it's right there around 50 so from 50 to 60 to 70 it's kind of like this jump of like all right we're really forced to look at our structures our leadership structure our culture it's like codifying things that we're just kind of caught rather than taught you know it's like yeah we all know it's like well now we have to like codify and, and like intentionally say it right um, but it's, it's for the service of protecting the core stuff that got you here. Right. So your culture in that sense won't change like your heart, your values, like what this company is, it just is going to be brought through an organized structure instead of just a free for all, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, anyways, we can talk about more of that, more of that yeah, later. I want to get back. I want to get back to you. I love, it does it. I don't know if you've noticed this, but you're not truly a growth company and you're not truly a lifestyle company. Like there's a, you've got a little bit of both. Like you are a growth company, obviously like you are growing fast and rapidly and that kind of stuff. But you remind me a little bit of Patagonia in that obviously you want to grow big yet. You still have a part of you that's like, yeah, but I can't deny my guys going surfing when the, when the surf's like that. Right. Yeah. Um, does that feel like a constant tension of we yeah. like the outdoors, we like life and enjoying it yet. We're also building a business and, What's, what's that like for you? Yeah. Um, on a personal level or like both. Um, yeah. I think, uh, I think, uh, running and leading a business is, is, um, it's, it's all, it's always challenging to, uh, turn it off. You know, I think that's one of the big things that I envy about, you know, my friends that do have those, uh, you know, nine to five jobs. It's like, sweet man, you can go home now and you yeah, can, yeah. <laughs> the weekend's done. Um, so uh, personally, for me, I've, I've I've definitely had my fair fair share of challenges uh, finding that balance, um, but I do think we're getting to, you know, a better uh, a better place. I think I'm getting to a better place. I think one thing, you know, it's it's important to recognize there's always going to be something to do. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, if you own a business, there is always going to be something to do, and it's almost like you know one of the things that I've been trying to be more mindful about is, you know really laying out my day. And once I check those boxes off, I can be satisfied that I'm done. Mm. And, you know, the, the other, 
stack of work that needs to, you know, that is continuing to, to line up, you know, that can happen another day. Yeah. You know, and I think that's, that's also something that we've been trying to communicate to, you know, our team members because, you know, there's always something to do. And it's like, you need to be at, at five o'clock or whenever you get off, you need to be satisfied that, you know, <laughs> Hey, I crushed it today. You know, I'm satisfied with what I did. Now I'm going to enjoy, enjoy my time. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, you, you are right. Like we, um, you know, I think the, the lifestyle component is, yeah, is important. I think it's like the well-being component. It's the well-being. Know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's yeah. The, the wellness of, of people that is, um, is more of a focal point over the last, uh, this year, the last five yeah. months, um, prior to that, you know, it, uh, the well-being, I wouldn't say, uh, it, it, it fell to the wayside which, you know, looking back on it, you know, I think is, is one of my biggest regrets. It's that should have been, it should have been up there. Um, and, uh, I mean, we have such an incredible team that has come together to really make it, you know, uh, help, help turn that corner and identify a better way forward. Yeah. I love that. So I just want to highlight the smart, the smart thing that you're doing. If you, you read a book like the one thing by Gary Keller or the four disciplines of execution or any of these, these books, they all kind of say the same thing with different language, which is there's always going to be something like we would call a whirlwind where there's always going to be more. If you're looking for more, the, 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 the task list never really ends. So mm -hmm. how do you know when to cut it off? Like, how do you know when the day is technically over? Right. And they would say, yeah, but inside of that whirlwind, inside of that task list, there are things that are critically important or more important than the other things. And if you get better at identifying the one thing that's more important than the other things, or even like the Ivy Lee method, the Ivy Lee method is where you identify the six most important things you need to get done tomorrow. And you start with number one on the list. And when you're done with that, you go to number two, right? And you go through the list. And like, when you're done with those things, you can decide if you want to get to other smaller things or if you're done for the day, right? But the idea is that you're, you're actually being, growing your skill at identifying the truly important things and making sure you're giving your best to those things and then showing the discipline or the freedom to say and the other stuff can wait. I'll get to that when I get to that. And that sounds like kind of more of the approach. I know it's not always clean and cut, which is which, but uh, it sounds like you're taking more of that approach so that you do have maybe the freedom to go cut off early or even if it's at five o'clock or something to, to say, I did get done the most important things to get done. Is that right? Totally. Totally. Yeah. Prioritizing is key. Yes. It, yeah. Cause there's always more, there's always stuff you could be doing, right? Just because you could do it doesn't mean you should do it right now. Like there's always an email you could send. There's always brainstorming that could be done. Um, man, that's super cool. I also want to know right now, what does your week look like at this stage of the company or say this stage of the growth? Uh, what does a typical week look like for you as a founder? from a typical day to a typical week uh, and more so just curious, like what, are, what does it look like juggling the balls you have to juggle right now? Totally. Um, so, so my, my daily routine um, I'm, I'm actually kind of split my time between Washington and California. So it kind of, kind of changes a little bit. Um, but typically I try to start my day around six, 6 AM um, <clears throat> hit the gym or, or do some sort of, uh, activity in the morning to kind of get things going. Then I, I kind of start the work day at 7 a.m. Usually the morning, it's it's kind of the morning is when I really have kind of that time to focus mm. um, on some of my, you know, uh, larger projects. Um, after I do work out, taking a quick step back, I do try to do a bit of journaling and reflection. Um, I think it's, it's, I think it's so important to recognize uh, the journey and not mm. so much just be, you know, so focused on that destination. And that has helped me um, pause a little bit and appreciate, you know, um, the day-to-day -day stuff and, yeah. and the kind of the pursuit. So is there a uh, certain approach to journaling or, or, or <clears throat> style of journaling that you find helpful for you? Is it reflective, like just recording the events? Is it prompted by certain questions you're asking yourself? Like, yeah, what kind of journaling do you like? So, so how, how my journaling is, is broken down. So I reflect on the prior day. Um, I, uh, will note, you know, areas that, that I feel like I could have improved on. Um, I will note, you know, the wins, um, 
And then I'll jump into, you know, like four or five things of, of gratitude. Mm. And then I'll, I'll conclude with, you know, those, those four or five things that, you know, I want to be mindful of. And they're traditionally, you know, the same. It's like, it's like praise. It's, be, you know, being patient, you know, all, you know, all these important things, you know, to, you know, be a better leader. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's, I think it's that the repetition, I think is, is so key in, you know, setting a good, a good habit, a good routine. So after that, I, I kind of kicked the day off and a lot of my days are filled with, with, with meetings. So meeting with, with cross-functional teams about different initiatives, making sure people have the resources and support, uh, uh, to accomplish their goals and objectives, you know, mm. collaborating with various teams, uh, I'll get pulled into, you know, larger customer meetings at times, um, you know, obviously the financial end, making sure that everything is, 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 is buttoned up there. Um, but very closely working with, uh, with, uh, our operations team, our supply chain team, our product team, our creative team, um, our e-commerce team and, you know, making sure that our projects are kind of moving along and everyone's rowing in the right direction. Mm. Um, I think, you know, I think that is so critical and I'll, I'll kind of go into that a little bit more, uh, uh, when you ask, uh, uh one of the, the five concluding questions, uh, but it's so important that people, you know, we're all are moving in the right direction. Yeah. Um, and then I would say my day probably ends around, uh, six, and then if it's a Tuesday and Thursday, then I go into an evening MBA from six to 10. Mm. So yeah, my days can, can be a little, uh, a little long Thursdays. Um, but that's kind of, kind of the week. And then, um, uh, also kind of a big chunk is, is trying to think creative, you know, creatively, uh, you know, I am the eyes, you know, down the road and I want to make sure, you know, I'm communicating to our team what I see coming. So, you know, that's also obviously a huge component of, of, of what I do. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Uh, what would you, there's a question I like to ask a lot of founders. What would you say is your unique ability? And what I mean by unique ability is it's the thing that would be the intersection of what you most enjoy and what you feel like you're best at. So like, man, I'm really good at this part of the business or this skill set, and I really enjoy doing it. What would be that? What would be at that intersection? That's it's essentially a high leverage whenever you're doing that to the business. I think getting people excited, um, and then I love working with customers. Uh, mm-hmm. I love you know those uh, customer facing initiatives, getting people excited, and um, I think you know keeping people on on the same page. Um, cool. So yeah. the more that visionary, inspirational for the team, like hey guys, here's where we're going. Let's let's have you know enthusiasm about it, and then also working directly with the customer. Yeah, I would say I'm a, I am on the innovator side rather than the implementer side. Yes, come on, right here. That's where I'm at. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> How yeah. have you have you found have you found a um, obviously you have? Is it a team of people that have made this up for you, or has there been a powerful counterpart that is more skilled on the implementation side rather than just the innovation side? Um, a team for sure. Uh, we have an awesome team. And, um, and then at the beginning of 2020, we hired a COO. Her name is Liz and, um, she's absolutely incredible. Um, Mm. so she has really helped, uh, create, uh, you know, great structure, uh, from an operations and a supply chain standpoint. And she is like the ultimate implementer. Cool. Heck yeah. So she, she eats, eats and drinks and sleeps those kinds of yeah on the ground decisions, tactical decisions, get stuff done kind of thing. Exactly. Perfect. I love mm-hmm. that. Um, for you, what would you say the, the, the exciting future holds for, for Brist? Like where, when you pick your head up above the clouds and you start looking forward, what do you, what do you start to see? Um, I, I think uh, us continuing to evolve, uh, the branded merchandise space, you know, so, so how and why people buy, you know, we're trying to build out a better experience uh, that lends itself to being, you know, more automated uh, to, you know, uh, implementing a more sustainable component using, you know, more eco-friendly materials. Um, I think, you know, we're, we're going to continue to, you know, challenge kind of the status quo when it comes to embe- embellished merchandise. 
Mm. So I, I'm excited for, you know, to continue to see, you know, our products in the wild, our customers' products in the wild and continue to work with, you know, larger uh, organizations and more organizations. I think that, you know, that's one of the big things I would love uh, in the BHAG. I don't, I don't know if I should, I'm jumping too soon. Go ahead and do it now. Yeah, we're about to do the lightning round questions. You can go ahead and answer that one now. What's the, the BHAG? The, the BHAG is, uh, you know, for, uh, I think for everybody to have, you know, a brist item in their closet mm. um, is, you know, I think, you know, one of our biggest BHAGs. We, we make so much apparel and my hope is that, you know, everyone, you know, has a piece of, uh, a piece of kind of our product category scope. And it's, uh, it's one of their favorite, you know, pieces of apparel to wear. Heck yeah. I love that. All right. With that, let's jump into our lightning round questions. You took care of question number four. We're going to go back and start with question number one. If you could ingrain one message into your entire organization, what would that message be? Uh, we do it together. You know, it's, uh, it's not, uh, it's, it's everybody, um, you know, it's, uh, it's like an equation, you know, without, you know, each piece of that equation, that equation doesn't matter. So mm. we, do, we do it together. It's not one person. It's not one department. It's, uh, it's the collection of, you know, all of our activities that, that make for successful. Heck yeah. Have you, uh, this, this made me think of that. Have you ever read the, the book, uh, boys in the boat? No. Are you serious? Yeah, I, I think it. I think it takes place out of uh, Washington. Um, really? But yeah, dude, it's about. It's one of the best fiction or uh, nonfiction books I've ever read. It's. It, I think it's from the University of Washington, back in the day, like in the '40s or something. Their right rowing team that was made up of a bunch of blue collar, shoeless kids, poor kids, that came together and ended up like winning an Olympic gold. Um, it's it's you gotta read it man one it's just, it really it's amazing highlighting the the story of working together and they they're talking about you know rowing in sync and how to do that and whatever but it's also just a freaking fascinating story about this team from the university of washington uh but check it out it's called the boys in the boat you're gonna love it i love it sweet i love stoked. it all right number two what is the single best advice you've ever gotten about growing your business and what about the worst um, the best advice I, I sat by a CEO on an airplane and he told me to drive fast and take chances. And, mm. you know, I think that's, that's so important in, in, in running a business is you have to be willing to, to take risks and, and take those chances. I think the worst, um, the worst advice I, I think is when a senior consultant told me that I needed to get out of the way. And mm. I think why that was the worst advice um, is not necessarily the advice itself, but how I took it. And I took it like in a literal sense that, Hey, I need to kind of like, okay, I'm not going to manage or not that I'm not going to manage, but I'm going to really try to remove myself from these aspects of the organization. And what had happened was uh, we had two new people, uh, that were coming in. And I think, you know, he, uh, that recommendation was more so, you know, how can we equip them and empower them to be able to come in and, and kick ass. Uh, but by me getting out of the way, I didn't equip them with my expectations, yeah. you know, or a plan. And so I think I took it, I took it a little too literally. And <laughs> that, you know, that created immense challenges, uh, trying to step back and watch, uh, two new people uh, do things that um, were not in alignment with, with my vision or some of my, you know, uh, the objectives for the organization. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's definitely a delicate <laughs> and skillful uh, process to know when to delegate so you can elevate and yeah. delegate well versus just dumping it on somebody and them not carrying your culture or yes. not knowing what they're doing. Uh, I totally understand that. That could be that could be dangerous. All right, number three. What causes you the most stress or worry leading your organization? Um, I think the the team members. You know, it's uh, uh, you're not just supporting one one person. You know, but you're supporting a family. And I think uh, you know that is usually what creates probably the most worry and anxiety is just wanting to create a a sound and healthy business that can continue to employ them and 
and provide them, you know, the financial means to enjoy the life that they want to enjoy. Mm. Love that. All right. Last question. This is our creative question. If you could hop into a DeLorean, go back to the past and tell yourself one thing out the driver's side window, when would you go back and what would it be? I'd probably go back in 2015 or 16 when we really did that pivot. And I would say, delegate better. <laughs> I, being hands-on, yeah. uh, you know, starting a business and being hands-on in every single aspect of the way, it gets challenging yeah. to want to hand off specific things. And I think for the longest time I was, I was killing myself because I wanted to do so many different things. And um, now, you know, looking at, I mean, and it wasn't because I felt like I could do it better. It was because uh, I just enjoyed doing those things, but yeah. uh, I needed to be better at, you know, delegating and stepping back and not feeling the need to have any, any sort of ownership in specific acts, uh, aspects, uh, rather be more of a collaborative figure. So delegation, I think is, is, is key. Uh, someone once told me if, uh, 60% up to your expectations or 70% up to your expectations is better than you doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yep. Uh, I've heard the same thing, 70 to 80. And I think it depends on what the task is and what part of the bit, you know, what part of the business growth it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but absolutely at some point, that's why I was asking you about your unique ability. At some point you should be moving in a trajectory more and more towards the thing. That's like truly my highest leverage activity. Like the more time I spend doing this, the more impact it has on the business and the growth and taking some of those things that are more in the category of a shared ability, like other people could be as good as me at this, or especially the things that I don't enjoy and I'm not good at, <laughs> right? Like yeah. you as the founder leading this bigger and growing organization should be slowly delegating that to people that it is within their unique ability, right? Mm-hmm. Um, super cool, man. This has been fascinating. Uh, I loved hearing the story of your company, especially the pivot from your own brand your own clothing brand to now being the the supporter of these uh, custom clothing brands. Uh, this has been such a fun journey. I'm excited to hear where this goes from here. And uh, buddy, thank you so much for being on the podcast and sharing your, your wisdom with our audience. Thanks so much, Drew. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Founders, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and hop into our monthly founder email so we can ensure you stay on the edge of peak performance and massive business results.